One Pills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. It's a Tuesday, and we are radio only for the second straight day. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker, One Bills Live, coming to you here on a Tuesday. And uh, Steve, in his humble abode, I am doing the same in my humble abode as uh, the digging out has ensued here in Western New York. And uh, thankfully, the snow has pretty much stopped across the Western New York region. Uh, Suffice to say, we've had enough, Steve. I think that's safe to say. I think we're up over 90 inches for the season already. And what are we, seven days, six days into winter? Yeah. It's snowing here in the South Town still. Is it really? But it's but it's a beauty though. It's coming straight down, fluffy, white, yeah, and not very fast either. It's you know, my oh, plow guy grief. came by for the first time in a couple of days, and yeah, we're kind of <clears throat> we're kind of back on top of it now. The the travel ban where I'm at was lifted yesterday morning, right. and uh, you know that you know whenever that happens, you feel like you can go out and get some things done. The, you know, so the the lines in the grocery store have subsided. The you know, I'll say this, <clears throat> we went, we had to, <laughs> we had to go out to dinner last night as they had to, because, you know, when you got people in for the holidays, that got here before the storm and haven't been able to leave because of the storm, you got to go out. So, yeah. Yeah. So everybody else was in the same boat down here. Every place was hacked. Yeah. Hacked. Our, was tra- our travel ban got lifted. Uh, I want to say it was yesterday morning at 7 a.m. So that gave us the opportunity to do our family Christmas celebration a day late, right. which we did at my sister-in-law's house. So uh, we were able to get that done last night, although still not everybody could get there because right. there were some travel bans that were still in place. So still a little tricky, but we made the best of it, as I'm sure a lot of people around Western New York are still trying to do. And, as we understand it, the city of Buffalo is still behind a lot of the outlying suburbs in terms of their recovery. So our best wishes to uh, people in the city that might still be homebound and not able to go anywhere. I still believe the driving ban exists in the city. So, yeah, that's um, why I understand it as well. So just do your best to hang on for maybe another day and hopefully uh, things get better and stuff gets cleaned up and you can kind of get back to your daily normal living. Yeah, it's really interesting because we're so isolated here because of the borders of the storm and how severe the storm was. We forget everything else is still going on. You know, I mean, people every place else are traveling around all that, although the airlines are neck deep in problems and the Buffalo airport has yet to open. Yeah. Um, but every place else, aside from that, seems to be moving right along. I mean, I watched, you know, the football game last night was a little bit of a snooze fest, but, you know, the Chargers are in the playoffs. Five of the seven spots in the AFC are, right. are taken up. You got guys like J.J. Watt announcing that he's retiring. And I, we could spend the whole show talking about Tua. We could. Uh, that guy. I don't, I don't think we're going to, but no, we will I'm, spend some time I'm not it. that interested in it. But, man, oh, man, what? There's like nine layers to this thing, right? Oh, yeah. They're, How this, do they not? Could, this season alone could be a 30 for 30 yeah. on tour. I mean, think about it. That guy, I mean, he got whacked two minutes, just inside of three minutes of that first half left and came out and, and believe me, Brownie, I've had him. Sometimes you get a concussion. You don't know it for a half an hour, an hour. 
you know? Mm-hmm. That looks like that's what happened to him because he came out and made a couple of throws in that fourth quarter that were, you know, they were bad. And he yeah. said, he even, he even admitted, he said, I think I called the wrong play. Yeah, in explaining his second interception, yeah, he said, I may have called the wrong play in the huddle, and that's what led to the miscommunication. So, yeah, he's already probably suffering from the effects in that moment from the hit he had back in the first half. So here's, here's my whole problem with the issue. Tua basically was allowed to play with what amounted to a concussion or the symptoms of well, he wasn't having symptoms yet, but he probably had one already. Played the entire second half with it, much like he did in week three against right. the Bills. With the same kind of fall, you know, Matt Milano gives him a shove as he throws the football. He loses his balance, falls on his shoulder blades, and his head, the back of his head hits the ground. Right. And he gets up all wobbly, and he can barely stand. One of his teammates has to kind of balance him out. They take him off the field. He's back for the second half in week three. Right. And then he has a hit in the Bengals game the next week. And then he misses the next three games. So now you got two concussions in close proximity. Now he comes back here in week 16, has almost the same kind of fall that he had when he played the Bills in week three. Same kind of fall onto his back, head back of his head hits the ground. Nobody checks the guy out. Right. Like who's who is watching? Well, they this fired is the, the whole, first guy. Well, this is the whole reason, though, Steve. Like, this is why you have observers, both an yeah. INC, an INC, and the team's medical staff. Like, are you not watching the game? I mean, it's here's the other. It's your quarterback. I mean, is there a more important person on the field? How are you not watching every move that guy makes with his concussion history this year alone? So yeah. here, here's where I come down on this. If I am Tua's family, I'm ticked off. Right. Like the team my son or my brother plays for on more than one occasion has been incapable of either A, diagnosing a concussion after clear evidence on the field suggests that happened, week three, or they're unable to err on the side of caution and pull him from a game when another such fall, similar to the one that he had against the Bills back in week three, has taken place again, knowing he's had two concussions already this season. Like, at least pull him out and check him out. Right. I mean, and here's the thing. That. I'll say this, though. It happened at a point in the game, and it was innocuous. When you saw it, he, he kind of was falling forward, flipped the ball forward with his left hand to get a completion on a scramble. Uh, and he and goes an down ankle the, tackle. The, yeah, the can, the camera pans away. He gets up like nothing happened. No symptoms at all. So I get that. Um, and you say observers, people might not know what that is. They've got guys, and, and I'm telling you, it's more than a handful of people up in the press box with binoculars. And they're called observers. And they put them there all the time for all kinds of reasons. They've got guys watching the sidelines for unauthorized people on the sidelines. They got guys watching for um uh, for uniform, um, violations. uniform violations they got guys watching for all state and they watch the fans for spots in the stadium for trouble and now they got these guys with binoculars watching nothing but the players for symptoms of concussions and those are guys up in the stands with binoculars that have got they have no other job than to do that and it slips through all the week now and having said all of that something happens even if they observe the guy Part of the evaluation process for concussions 
is look at the guy in the eye and say, how do you feel? And if the guy's not going to tell you the truth, all that stuff means zip. Yeah. But then right? that's where that's where as a medical professional, though, you got to kind of step in and make a call. Yeah, Make a call what, Brownie? The guy's telling you you're crazy. I feel fine. What are you doing? And yeah. you see, as a medical professional standing there, you got it. What are you going to do? Tell your patient they're lying and stick a needle in their arm or something? You no. can't do that. No. You've got it. If as long as part of the evaluation process is patient feedback, the system is not going to work. Yeah. That's it. It's the only other thing I could think the doctor could do at that point in time is maybe talk to the guys that are in the huddle with him saying, hey, does he sound right? Like, does he sound like he's got it together here? You mean, wait, wait. You mean like the one in Buffalo where the teammate comes over and says, hey, listen, make sure you tell him it's your back, not your head. Those teammates? Yeah. <laughs> the well, no, but, but seriously, like, think about the Patriots player. You know, Aguilar, he pulls Devontae Parker out of the game himself. Because the observers there right. aren't well, paying that's attention. Right. Well, that's because Aguilar, you couldn't tell, except that Aguilar had that look in his eye, and he wasn't communicating like he always does. He was acting. Devontae plus, Parker was the guy that had the concussion. Right. So Aguilar Parker, pulled him. Yeah. So Parker is sitting there, and you're talking to him, and he's got a look on his face. Or, you know, Mac Jones is yelling out there. Aguilar's looking at him, yelling at him. And he's not responding. And Parker doesn't respond. Yeah. That's what happened to me. I mean, that happened to me in a game. Yeah. Play gets called, and I ask, what do I do on that play? What do I do on that, right? Yeah. And right away, my teammate puts his hand on my shoulder and, and gives the the ultimate, you know, the, the universal sign him. for come get him. Yeah. And uh, and I go off. That You know, that's the way it happens. You're out yeah. there. And listen, Brownie, I know the next day I've done – it's happened to me. The next day, and again, and, it, and people say, wow, that's frightening. Well, yeah. I got a concussion in a game, didn't know it, got evaluated, answered the questions, spent some time off. You feel like I went back in. The next day, you watch the game on film, and this was the same game that I got. You know, I asked, what am I doing? They took me off after that because it became apparent to everybody, even me. The next day, I watched the film. I make a catch in an NFL game I don't remember mm. 24 hours later. So that's how slippery this is. I didn't know. And yeah, I felt I look, fine. Far be it for me to say, I mean, the system is far from perfect. I think what we've seen this year is evidence of that. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not medically qualified to come up with a way to make it better, but right. It, it's clear that there are loopholes that, that have to be closed up here because yeah, they'll you're keep... talking about brain injuries, man. Like they'll work if on I'm it. To no his question. family, if I'm to his family, I'm demanding better or I'm suing the dolphins. Like, what are well, you doing? Here's the thing, too. You know, they're not Tua's family probably won't sue the Dolphins. No, they won't because, because... Tua will step in and say, "No, don't do right. that." Well, he may. I mean, he might. He, he may. I don't jump think he on. Will, I but... doubt he would. But you're right. I think the family, the only avenue they have is to go to Tua and say, "Hey, listen, bud, let's call it a career, or or let's wait out the race right, season." But his career is just getting off the ground too. That's right. So I understand right. the the push and pull of this whole thing as well, not to mention that the biggest one, which seems to be the importance of winning football games, overriding someone's health. Well, it seems in it's, in, cases, it, it's certainly in the mix, right? I, I don't know how it isn't based on how they handled the week three incident. That's right. I mean, and I don't honest, know that it's, it's in the mix for everybody. It's in the mix for Tua. Yeah. For McDaniel. It's for just the Dolphins a, organization. 
it's just alarming to me that the Dolphins aren't hyper aware and hyper vigilant in light of Tua's history this season alone. I'm not asking them to remember what happened five years ago. Oh, right. I'm, I'm talking about what happened in week three, like three I'll months ago. And I'll say this, Brownie. It's got to be on your it's radar. Easy, it's easy to sit here like this and talk like we're talking, but we don't know that the Dolphins aren't hypervigilant. It was so innocuous, that hit, and he was so asymptomatic until after the game. And the next day he came in and said, you know what? I'm not feeling 100%. And then you look back at the game, and it's easy to say <laughs> he threw three bad picks in the fourth quarter. Oh, my gosh. Throw yeah. your arms up. I, and I'm not going to throw two under the bus and say, yeah, he wouldn't have thrown. I, I'm not going to throw under the bus and say, hey, he would have done that anyway without the concussion. Right. But goodness gracious. It's easy to do that now, but I'm not. I'm not going to throw the dolphin because you've got to know, and they are. They're in, they're in a playoff put. I know it's everything is everything is ultra urgent. The season's important. This game's mega important. I, I get all of that. Um, it's always that way when it's week one or whether it's week eighteen. Yeah. So that's always there. But I, it's hard to say that the dolphins weren't hyper sensitive to it. Yeah, but there I mean, was I'm not nothing that happened. Yeah, I'm not going to pretend to know what happened on the sideline either. I just, I get all amped up when I see somebody's physical health, just especially somebody with a history of those things. It just feels like. Well, it's the same thing. Mitch Morse. It went unrecognized. Mitch Morse is the same way too. And I'm pretty sure Mitch is probably hypersensitive to it. And the Bills are as well. He didn't come back. He didn't, you know, and we knew this too. Mitch took an extra week, even the last time he got a concussion. This is his documented sixth. Right. That's, you know think about his wife and family you know where they're at that's what i that's what i think about first like we love we love mitch he's the best man we've talked to him a bunch of times the guy's articulate and smart um it's a part of the game that is not great you saw it last did you see the hit last night where derwin james derwin james got ejected that well i don't know about you but i thought that was an ejectable hit sure and both guys got a concussion both guys were out of the game for a minute it's head on. He's lowering the helmet, crown of the helmet, head on. Like that's that's the kind of hit they're trying to get out of the game for the very reason of what the outcome was. Yeah, I get it. Um, and it happened fast. And I don't think there was malicious intent any more any, any more than there is on any other tackle in the NFL. Yeah, it's just you know it's one of those. This strikes me as a good reason you have rules like that. And and also um, how difficult it is for the defenders and the guys playing the game to adhere to those rules in certain situations when it happens so fast. Yeah. It's, I mean, they're trying to make the game safer, so I get it. That's And they are. You really don't want in the game anymore, and and the result of the hit is the exact reason why. I just, just to kind of close the book here on this concussion discussion, it's, if I'm to his family, I just have a hard time believing that the Dolphins are really on the ball right. in trying to be hyper vigilant with everything that he has been through already this season in that area. And I, if I'm his family, I'm incensed. Like, well, I'll tell you, I know I'll it's not perfect. Too. And yeah. I know concussions can be tricky and hard to diagnose sometimes, but man, I'm, 
I'll have a hard time too. coming away from that without being ticked off. I think the family kind of, I, and the family would know better than we do. We're I'm, we're just conjecturing and and yeah. and I've I've seen instances of it with families and stuff who've gone through this as with football players. Um, the family in the beginning first they talk to the player, their husband, father, son, and they say, "What are you doing going back in?" And they get the story from them saying, listen, I I told them I was all right. I went back in on my own. They, you know, I, I want that kind of thing. Yeah, that's on so me. they, so then they, yeah, it's on me. So the family doesn't put the, usually sometimes like that, in instances like that, the family's like, okay, the, then they forget about the team and they, they focus on their family member. Um, it hasn't always been that way, mm-hmm. but I would say the predominant lion's share of instances like this, now it is because the teams are being scrutinized for it and you've you know in calmer moments they put policies into place that employees follow and they don't get repercussions for holding a star player out because those policies were put in when none of this was on the you know the playoffs and the super bowl were on the table so they can they can follow the protocols and not have the team fire them as a result so it's much better. The league is in a much better place now than it's ever been. And I think when we highlight stories like this, I think it proves it rather than disproves it. They've made huge efforts to make stuff like this not possible. And when it doesn't work, yeah, they, you know, it's there. So, um, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate for two. It's unfortunate for the Dolphins. You hate to see it just like you hate to see it for any of these guys. These guys last night, uh, you know, the Derwin James, um, Ashton on Ashton Doolin and then of course Mitch Morris our own Buffalo Bill here who's uh, who's going through the, it now in the, proto- in the protocol so yeah at the league it's never going to be perfect because it's played by a bunch of big tough guys who get put in spots where they react and do stuff like this but Tua again that was amazing I, I couldn't believe when we read that yesterday yeah I really couldn't it's believe just, it yeah it's gonna be very interesting to see where they go from here because you know as you pointed out they've got giant games to try to get into the playoffs here these last two weeks uh there are situations where i think they can i I didn't check this uh and we'll go over the playoff scenarios i was trying to remember if they control their own destiny or if they need help no matter what i think if they win out well they're they're eight and seven if they go ten and seven they'll be in yeah so if they win out they're fine right and they're and you know if they don't they're going to need help right i mean the standings right now or they're in at eight yeah. and seven. So if they win out, there's no way they can, yeah. be, you know, Leap there's no way they can right. leapfrog. Uh, and they, this week, they finish up They if, if anybody's interested. Um, they got the Patriots this week and then the Jets next week, right? Right. They yeah. finish up with two division games. Woo! Uh, this week's. This week's game sponsor is the BFLO store. The BFLO store is the official retailer of the Buffalo Bills. We already started, so we might as well continue around the NFL, presented by Collider Health, the official healthcare system of the Buffalo Bills. And let's just talk about this Monday night game a little bit more. The Chargers get a 20 to 3 win over the Colts, who are in free fall. They start Nick Foles in this game, Steve, and it was an abomination. The guy threw three interceptions, was sacked seven times. It is amazing what has happened to the Colts offensive line. By no means was Foles blameless in this game, but wow. I mean, is that offensive line just 
incapable of consistent pass protection. That used to be well, like a model I offensive watched, line two years I ago. I watched it's, some of this, Brownie. You're right. Um, they're not playing well, but their quarterbacks are back there patting the ball. No place yeah. to throw it. They're, when the line does protect, the quarterback has no openings. Foles, Matt Ryan, and the other kid, Ellinger, Sam Ellinger, yeah. No, I, I got. I don't want. I'm. Let me be hyperbole. Um, none of them could run, could outrun a three-legged puppy. <laughs> so they can't get out of it. The, they can't move around in the pocket. They can't escape pressure. They got nobody to throw to, and their offensive line has struggled. Um, and they've got a head coach they don't know. Yeah, they, yeah. It's a. It's an absolute. Steve dumpster fire the colts had 173 total net yards in the game yeah one time they reached the red zone and here's the best one of the day the colts on offense were 0 for 10 on third down oh for 10 on third down where are they so this season they are 29th in third down conversion percentage the only offenses that are worse than them. Houston, Carolina, and Denver at converting third downs. I mean, you are bottom of the barrel. Yeah. They're 30th and they're 28th in yards a game, 25th in rushing, 23rd in passing, 31st in 29th in interception rate. It's bad. 28th so in sacks per attempt. 23rd and first downs they're they stink and defensively on you know they're 20th in rushing yards a game they're top they're top they're 11th in pat in yards per game and eighth in total plays uh yards per play so they're you know defensively they're a little better yeah but well that's who i feel bad for i mean they hold the chargers to 20 points on a day where your offense isn't doing anything. Yeah. It's, there's just no way for them to win. They don't have any point production whatsoever. There was an announcement today. JJ Watt announced he will retire at the end of the season. He did it with a social media post with his wife and son. It read as follows. Koa's first ever NFL game. That's his son, little guy. My last ever NFL home game. My heart is filled with nothing but love and gratitude. It's been an absolute honor and a pleasure. Watt is a three-time defensive player of the year, five-time first-team All-Pro. Is he a Hall of Famer, Steve? Oh, yeah. I yeah, think I so, think so, right? Yeah, yeah. He uh, certainly injuries de- derailed his career for a minute. But three Maybe defense- more than a minute, yeah. Three defensive players of the year. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Five-time All-Pro over the course of what was his career? Ten years? Twelve, 12, 12 years. Yeah, he, yeah, absolutely. Certainly um, injuries marred what could have been a, you know, a, you know, a historic career. But, yeah. man, oh, man, three-time in, in defensive MVP? Yes, I, I would say yes. Yeah, I think he probably absolutely. is in. Um, he may I'll be tell a you. first ballot guy. Oh, you think so? Okay. Maybe. You think about JJ's son, Koa. I think he's like one, one and a half. His dad is a gargantuan football player 
and his mom is a professional soccer player. Talk about coming from the deep end of the sporting gene pool. My <laughs> God. That is ridiculous. Uh, he'll probably play ping pong. <laughs> Something, you know. Table tennis. Yeah. So, and, but, uh, good. you know, um, certainly you're right. Unbelievable. Yeah. I, but that's good for JJ, though. You know what? He's played a long time. He could probably squeeze out as many years as he wants with the with uh, Arizona. You know, they're not. He, you know, if he wants to keep going, he probably could. But he remember he signed a hundred and three million dollar contract and yeah, saw the and saw the end of it. Yeah, let's not forget that you know the Bills were interested in him just a couple of years ago, and the Bills were not going to go too high in the bidding, and right. the Cardinals agreed to go super high in the bidding and gave him $16.5 million a year coming off a stretch where he did not have a 16-games-played season in like three years. And they paid him $16.5 million to average about 9, 10 games a season. Uh, he, he did not bring the impact to the Cardinals. Now, Cardinals have a slew of other problems, too. Let's not kid ourselves, but... I don't think he provided them with quite what they anticipated paying 16 and a half a year for him. Certainly not. And he kind of knew they wouldn't. I mean, he probably sold some tickets when they, when they signed him. Yeah. Um, it was probably a signal to some other players on the team that the, that the organization was in, um, you know, all in, so to speak. Um, but that was at a time when you remember they traded for DeAndre Hopkins. They got JJ Watt. Um, they had some. They had some intentions on going some yeah. places, and it just hasn't worked out for them. Some other news around the league concerns the Broncos. A day after firing their head coach Nathaniel Hackett, NFL Network's Tom Pelissero is reporting. Broncos owner and CEO Greg Penner says the next head coach will report to him, not to GM George Patton. He says Patton will be intimately involved in the search for a new head coach. And then Jonathan Jones from CBS Sports said Broncos CEO Greg Penner said trading for and extending Russell Wilson was a long-term decision. This is a quote. We know he'll do the right work in the offseason to be ready for next year. I wonder what work that would be. Yeah, that'll because he's presumably going to have another new offensive system this year, Steve. Well, hopefully it'll be an offensive system that will help him uh, rather right. than ask him to do stuff he's not capable of doing either anymore or ever. Um, also, we didn't know this yesterday, but Jerry Rossberg, the guy who was brought in as a game management uh, Yeah, Hackett hired him. Hackett hired him, and they Jerry Rossberg is now the interim head coach. He's a 67-year-old guy who's got a lot of – experience in the NFL. He was the coordinator, special teams coordinator for John Harbaugh in Baltimore for 10 years yep. and a couple of stops before that. Um, so he's been, he's been put into that seat and you would think that he has very little chance to hang on to that seat. Yeah. I don't know if you saw this yesterday, I saw it reported by one of the national reporters. He said that the Broncos first went to defensive coordinator Edgero Evero and asked him if he would be interested in being the interim head coach, and he turned it down. 
He said his focus needed to remain on the defensive side of the football. I I wonder if he hangs around. I, I think he kind of knows a new head coach is probably going to want his guy as defensive coordinator. I don't know why he wouldn't want to try to be an interim head coach for two weeks, though. I don't yeah, know. Well, I, two I, weeks I found... is different. Two weeks is different than two months like Jeff Saturday. That's true. I just didn't know if there was anything to be read into that. Here's the D.C. He's been there all year. Your your organization believes you're the most eminently qualified to be the interim head coach. And you say, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. There's no way that guy's there next year then. Maybe not. I, but I think, too, it's it's better. He probably felt and, and you know, given him every bit. I have never met met the guy. I would think knowing the mentality of these coaches, particularly on, on well, as a coordinator, you got to lead. And he's probably saying, listen, for me to lead is best for me to do what I'm doing and help you guys continue to play well and help us win ball games. This is the best place for me because if I do take the head coaching seat, the defense may go down the tubes. I'm, yeah. the, you know what I mean? So he's probably thinking he can help more in the day to day basis in these last couple of weeks as the defensive coordinator than he would have helped as the head coach. Um, and he, know to, he right. knew too that it would be, it would get out to the people, the powers that be that they offered it to him. And he, he said no. So that he still gets credit for being that could, you know, being good enough to be that guy, yeah. but he also gets credit for being smart enough not to take it. Yeah. Cause they ain't going to win a game Brownie. Yeah. I mean, they got the chiefs this week. Thanks very much. Um, <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah, I get it. But still in all, despite all of the offensive horrors that Russell Wilson and the Broncos offense has been, that defense is still a top five defense in the league. It's, it's a pretty impressive job that he's done. And I think he knows he might be a candidate for a head coaching job somewhere else. I mean, yeah, he already, might be. And there's, two, he, there's two other jobs open right now in Indian Carolina. Yeah. I'll say this though. I, I would highly doubt that he has any inkling that he is like a front runner or yeah, what the landscape a candidate looks like. or what that landscape looks like for those two teams yeah and whoever else might be in the market for a head coach indianapolis yeah carolina and name another well there'll be some others probably at the end there of the will year. be houston yeah maybe lovey smith's had it although you know they liked him and he was, but he was like their fifth choice. They, I, I truly remember Lovey was helping them in the process. Well, he was there. Wasn't he their DC prior yes, to that? Yeah. He was. Under, and he was uh, helping them through their process. And they, I, I'm not, I don't think this is, I'm just conjecturing. I'm getting, it sounds like they had a hard time getting somebody to say yes. And they ended up offering it to Lovey because he was the last guy that would say, no, all right, I'll do it. Because some of their candidates said, All no, right, I'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> I know it sounds crazy. Wow. Lovey Smith was a head coach in the league for a long time. Got the Bears to the Super Bowl. You know, he's a good coach. Yeah. But these guys, everybody thinks that all these candidates just, when it's offered, they take it. When it's offered, they take it. Some of these guys are candidates and they get into the process and they do it and they say, you know what? I, I don't think I'm your guy. Yeah. This one's not for me. Yeah. I remember bro, last they don't year, say that. They, I remember they don't last to, year. You know what I mean? Yeah. Last year we were wondering if, if Leslie Frazier said that because he was a candidate for 
the Houston Texans job. Yeah. Um, and he didn't because and here's I don't why. know how it went, but I wouldn't be surprised if he looked at that thing and said, oh, this might not be the place. Because here's the thing. A lot of these guys, they, they want to take a coaching job. No question about it. They want to be a head coach for the first time or, or again or whatever. But they also know because of their years of experience in the league that they've got to have A, B, and C, and D in place for me to win. I need to have a general manager who believes like I do and we have a good relationship. I need – an I need owner a, that's going to spend I need money. An owner, well, I need an owner. I need a budget. I need this. I need this much for my my coaching staff. I need, th- you know, whatever it is. And the owner or the GM or who, the president of the club, whoever, the CEO, whoever they're dealing with, says we can give you A and half of B, most of C, F, but not E. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Not E, but I'll give you F. And the coach is like, eh, and they got to make it. They got to make a call. They got to say, well, ah, that's not going to do it. So some of these guys just uh, quietly, because they don't want to embarrass the club, right? Because that gets around too. Yeah, you want to handle it the right way and say, uh, yeah, don't put it out there that I was a, a runner-up. Just say you interviewed me and you appreciate my effort, that kind of thing. And then and the coach just says, hey, I don't want the job. Basically, because that don't don't think that all these guys just take these jobs as soon as they're offered. Yeah, it ain't like that, no, particularly for veteran head coaches. All right. We got to take a break. When we come back, we're going to discuss our Twitter poll topic of the day. How do you want the Bills offense to look when entering the playoffs? What does it look like in your ideal world? You let us know on the tweet sheet at One Bills Live. We're back with more. Stay tuned. We're back in two minutes. Hey, Bills fans, visit buffalobills.com slash SB sweeps and enter for a chance to win two tickets to Super Bowl 57 in Glendale, Arizona. One winner will win two tickets, airfare and lodging to attend the Super Bowl contest ends New Year's Eve. So get online and get yourself entered for a chance to win. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you here on a Tuesday We are uh, radio only again here today. We do anticipate being back in the studio tomorrow for a simulcast broadcast. So we look forward to that. But in the meantime, uh, we are discussing the Bills and their offense. How do you want the Bills offense to look when the team is entering the postseason? So two weeks from now, what is your ideal appearance of the Bills offense? What does it look like? And we'll go to the tweet sheet to get things started here. Tweet sheet brought to you by Corrigan Moving Systems, the official equipment moving company of the Buffalo Bills. And TJ leads off and says, love the run game, but need more from the passing game. They have to get the ball to Diggs more consistently. Keep using Knox and get Beasley more involved. That should open things up for Diggs, Davis, and the running backs. Cook is a big-time weapon back there. All right, a lot to unpack in that comment, Steve. So let's let's start with this. We heard Josh in his post-game press conference after the win over the Bears specifically and unsolicited mention the fact that he felt he has to get 14 Stephon Diggs more involved in the passing game. He had two targets in the game last week. Granted, they didn't throw it a ton because of the windy conditions. 
But those two targets, both in the second half, I don't think he caught, he didn't have a target in the first half. That can't happen right. with your leading receiver. Not just your leading receiver, but one of the top guys in the league. Um, I'll say this. Don't I don't think the Bills right now are too worried about their offense or their defense, what they have been able to do. We talked about it a ton yesterday. Uh, they are, and I'm not pumping their tires, but they're the number one seed in the AFC after playing the hardest schedule. I'll say it again. They're winning games in whatever way it takes to win games. They ran the ball for two Bills the other day, mm. and they have thrown the ball for 400 in this season they've thrown the josh has five touchdowns in a game or something i think that's right he has five touchdowns in a game this year four throwing and a, and a running touchdown he's got he leads the league in quarterback rushing touchdowns or he's right there um they can they've won the game by with a stifling defense uh like they did against pittsburgh um they have i mean go, you know let's I mean, they outscore, they, they go out into Los Angeles, they crush the Ram. They, here, my point is this, however you need, they need to win a game, they got the horses to do it. If yeah. they need to run it, if they need to throw it, if they need to rush the passer, if they need to cover, if they need to short passing, long passing, if they need to do power run game, if they need to do the quarterback run game, they've got it under the hood. They've proven it all season. They are the team that has beaten their opponents in more different ways than anybody, anybody in the league, in my opinion. I, and I, I'm just saying that. I don't know if that's true. There may be somebody out there who's done that. Philly may be able to do that. But they are, they are good on all cylinders, and they can execute a game plan that is vastly different on a week-to-week -week basis. So you got a game where Steph doesn't get targeted for a whole half. And let's face it, he, didn't get card he hasn't gotten targeted much over the last few weeks. Mm-hmm. But they're winning games, and they're doing it in a multitude of different ways. That's how good they are. That's not a that's not a detriment. That's not a weakness. That doesn't show that they're incomplete. It shows just right. the opposite. They well, are yeah, complete. because they're still winning. Yeah. They're, they're still winning. I mean, Diggs gets two targets. They win by 22. So, 22. So, I mean, it, it kind of falls by getting, the wayside, and yeah. understandably so, because they're still winning the football game by they a got, comfortable margin. They got crushed on Thanksgiving because they beat the Lions by three, and that was the only game the Lions won in, in a six- or seven-game stretch. Lost. Or lost. The only, and yeah. the only game the Lions lost in a six- or seven games, and they beat them, Bills beat them by three with a last-second controlled field goal, and they're getting crushed for style points. Same yeah. thing with the Patriots. They beat them by two touchdowns. They just squeezed the life out of them. People say, no, oh, you should have scored more. And they're just, you know. I mean, they're, they're hard to beat, bro. Right. And that's, and that's this game plan and all this stuff we're talking about proves it. I mean, they're, they're winning these games every which way you can think of because that's their plan and they right. are executing it at a high level the all second across part, the roster. The second part of TJ's comments, interesting too. keep using Knox and get Beasley more involved. They have found something here with Knox of late. And I think it's yeah. important. I think it's important. Um, and it's not just, you know, little check down throws in the flat or over the middle. I mean, Knox is delivering some some big plays. I think over the last two weeks, he has like three of the team's six longest plays from scrimmage. So that's not nothing. The The more interesting part of that involves Beasley. I think they signed Beasley to the practice squad. 
and we were wondering what it means. Was it an indictment on the lack of production behind Diggs in the passing game? Was it meant to light a fire under those guys that are behind Diggs in the pecking order at the receiver position? Or is Beasley just an insurance policy in case somebody else goes down or maybe Jamison Crowder runs out of time and can't come back this season? He played six snaps on Saturday, Steve. That was a lesson. Which is even less than the week before when he only had 11. I think he's all of those things, Brownie. I think he's an insurance policy. I think he's a, a fire to light underneath it. And if something happens to somebody else, he's the guy you go to that you you trust in the offense who's played in the offense. So I'm he makes a lot of sense as a signing for Buffalo, even more so. And he played, look, don't forget, he was with the Buccaneers for like eight days. He had a cup of coffee down there, and he said, I'm done. This is the only place that he fits perfectly. And not only as a player – but as a locker room guy mm-hmm. in the offense, as a piece to an offensive system, a game plan guy, he's the perfect fit right now. Even yeah. if he doesn't play a snap, he's the perfect fit. Right. The only other problem as far as Beasley's involvement in the offense is concerned is there might be a guy emerging here that's going to get more touches going forward. We'll tell you who that is when we return here on One Pills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Ah, snap! Snapdragon apples are now available. Fuel your game day adventures with Snapdragon apples now available at Wegmans. Snapdragon apples, the official apple of your Buffalo Bills. We got to get back to the tweet sheet to get some of your comments on what you ideally want the Bills offense to look like as it heads to the postseason in two weeks or preferably three weeks time, because that would mean they got the buy in the top seed. And TJ gave us a lot to look at. We were dicing up some of that in the last segment. And we were talking about Beasley and how he's probably an insurance policy, a guy to light a fire under the the guys behind Diggs in the pecking order on the active roster there in case he's needed. I wonder if what is keeping his snap count down is the emergence of James Cook. He plays a different position. Not all the requirements within the scope of the offense are the same, but he can deliver in the receiving part of the game and be an extension of the run game that way, much the way Beasley was. So Cook's production is up over the last six games, not only because he's playing more, but in my opinion, he's playing better. And I don't know if Beasley's time on the field increases all that much in these final two weeks, because in my estimation, Steve, they know what Beasley is. I think they want to learn more about what Cook can be for this offense. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if they're up for learning anything right now. I think they're up for getting the guy out there they think can do something. Cook well, has – it's taken him a long time to get on the field. Let's face it. We've been waiting on him all season, and he gets out there, and he catches a little swing pass and falls down, or he coughs up the ball, or he drops a pass. It's been a it's been an issue. They're finally starting to string some good plays together without falling over himself. And and it's great. Uh you've got Khalil Shakir, who's finally getting some snaps. He got a catch last week on one target. Um, I think that's crucial for like Reggie Gilliam, Cole Beasley, 
Khalil Shakir, Quentin Morris, Stefan Diggs, all of these guys, like Diggs, two targets, two catches. Gilliam, one target, one catch. Beasley, one target, one catch. Shakir, one target, one catch. Everybody else, like Knox, five targets, only three catches. Gabe Davis, six targets, only three catches. You need guys to catch it when it gets thrown to them, and you need them to do something with it after they catch it. Mm-hmm. And the the young guy, well, young guys, I say young, like Gilliam, Beasley, Shakir, the guys who have started to be sprinkled into the offense, they've got to continue to do exactly that. Cook, two catch it, one catch for two targets. You know, if he's going to be in part of the passing game, he's got to be a part of the passing game. That's not enough. Now, the, the Chicago game can't be taken as a, you know, an encapsulation of everything they hope and dream because it was the Chicago Bears and you were thumping them up pretty good and all you had to do was hand it off to win it. Right. But at some point, if you want Cook to shine in the offense, I get it. But he hasn't done enough in the passing game yet. They haven't given him that no, much opportunity. No, he hasn't. But, but, he, I mean, I thought he was going to be a dynamite receiver. I thought he was going to be his thing. Hines seems to be just as good in some ways. So, yeah, I like that they spread it around. We talked about it yesterday. They had a ton of guys catching balls yesterday or on, on Sunday, Saturday. Uh, a lot of them only caught one. Nobody caught more than three, and they only threw it 26 times. Different kind of game. I get it. I don't know that you make sweeping judgments based off of the Bears game, but the one thing I do take away is that all those guys got a chance, and a lot of them made the most of it. Jeremy on the tweet sheet says, I don't mind if we run the ball 45 times or we pass it 45 times. Limiting turnovers and executing plays correctly is what I hope for. And maybe Jeremy's prompted to say that after a three-turnover performance this past Saturday. Still won by 22, but I think we all know when you get to the postseason, if you have a three-turnover game, you're probably going home when your season's yeah. over. Yeah, you can't do it. And a couple of times, too good. Bears did some good things defensively. Um, Eberflus, their head coach, is a, is a defensive guy. They had some guys, and we talked about the first pick on the long throw down to McKenzie in the end zone. Uh, they had a guy dropping from the box on the opposite side of the field all the way back underneath that route. Um, that's an easy one for Josh to miss and not realize that guy's going to be there when he's got to get rid of it. Um, that's a gotcha play. Good for them. They did it. Um, and I can't even remember the other, the other interception, but you know, that's um, turnovers have been the bugaboo this year. They were minus two in this game until the last interception on the last play of the game that was meaningless. Then they were right. minus one, but they were, they were going to win that game at a minus two turnover ratio. Do the research on that. You won't, it's not pretty wins no. and losses for the team that's minus two. Correct. Uh, Tim on the tweet sheet says, I like the commitment to the run. Keep that up. I want Josh to take what the D gives him. Seems like he still is trying for the big play. I would tend to agree with that. He still tries to push the ball down the field and, and doesn't always take the layups. And I'm all for being aggressive. Um, but as we heard Ken Dorsey even say last week, Steve, somebody asked Coach Dorsey, hey, what do you say in the headset to Josh? You know, you give him the play. Do you give him a word or two, you know, before the headset shuts off? And he said, yeah. He said, a lot of times it's, I say this, us or nobody. 
us or nobody, which, or he says, be aggressive, but be smart. So there's a balance there. You want to be aggressive, but in a way that if your guy doesn't catch the ball, nobody does. And I right. think that's, that's what he means by us or nobody. So, right. Throw it to our guy or nobody else, throw it out of the, throw it into the stands kind of thing. Yeah, I get it. And that, and that's, you got to maximize you, this, the mic shuts off at 15 of the play clock. Yeah. And we all know they go all the way down to two and one most of the time, but yeah, they, that's what a good offensive coordinator is. He's, he motivates, he empowers, he coaches up. He anticipates and gives the guy a heads up, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, as much as he can give and maybe remind him of something they spoke about in the meeting. Hey, don't for, don't forget to you know look him off kind of thing. Yeah. All of that stuff goes into it. Um, yeah, it's a personal relationship that those guys share. And, and when he and he knows or should know, and I'm sure he does, Dorsey knows how to speak to Josh in a way that catches him, you know, and communicates to him in a way that's very very quick very succinct and there's a lot of information in there yeah break time for us here but when we return hour number two will begin with nfl on cbs color analyst and former nfl defensive back adam archuleta he joins us for hour number two here on one bills live presented by collider health it's buffalo bills radio live presented by Kaleida Health. All right, here we are on a Tuesday, hour number two. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. One Bills Live is the program and happy to have on with us now NFL on CBS color analyst, former NFL defensive back Adam Archuleta, who just did the game last week. Bills Bears on CBS. Adam, thanks for the time. Hope you had a good Christmas. But we're right back at it, man. Week 17 coming at us here. And it's a gigundo <laughs> one with Bills Bengals. Uh, yes, thanks. I uh, hope you guys had a Merry Christmas. And uh, I was fortunate. I was able, pretty nervous. I caught my flight home from Chicago. I got on the plane two minutes before they, they shut the doors. Otherwise, it, it might have been trouble. So thankfully, I was right. home uh, nice and safe and early on Christmas Eve. I know a lot of Buffalo folks uh, didn't have the same Christmas as I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, we knew it was going to be an issue. Uh, and, you know, it, and it turned out to be and it still is for a lot of people. Buffalo Airport's yeah. still not open. So we're wow. going to ask you, too. Well, what do you think about the Bears bills is what you expected, what the bills were able to do on the ground, which was a little unexpected, a little out of character, I think. Well, Steve, as you know, it's it's hard to know what to expect going into a game with with those conditions, because both teams. I mean, just the cold and the wind, and you don't really get a proper perspective, even when you're in the booth, exactly, you know, how tough it is with the passing game and how to operate. So you kind of knew that it would be an atypical game, um, but you certainly feel like the Bills, if anybody, are, are up to the challenge because of how they play and how you guys are used to being in those kind of elements. And so I was just kind of curious to see what exactly it would be like. And what I came away with was, yes, it was tough in the passing game, but 
if you want to be a great team, if you want to be a Super Bowl team, you've got to find different ways to win. And I think that's what we saw from the Bills in that game. What did you make of Buffalo's defensive performance? Because the first drive, the Bears go right down the field. Now, we have seen that from the Bills defense before, but Coach Frazier and his defensive staff, they'll give up an early touchdown drive at the start of a game, but then they make these adjustments and it just gets put on lockdown. Um, what'd you think of their performance, particularly after that first drive went down for a TD for Chicago? Well, look, sometimes the running game, it, you can, one guy is out of their gap and, you know, they hit you. Uh, sometimes that can happen, you know, and that, and that's what happened on the big, really it was the one big David Montgomery run. And certainly, again, being in the cold, it can be a little shocking at first <laughs> to kind of uh, to get warmed up and, and start to fly around and start to make plays. Uh, I, what I was impressed with is, you know, Justin Fields, look, he's still he's still a one dimensional quarterback. But in that one dimension, he's as good as it gets. And every single game he makes eye popping plays, he makes highlight plays uh, against really good defenses. And so I just thought that, you know, they smothered him. And, and as the game went on you really started to see the difference in personnel. And you saw, you know, the Bills rock solid at all three levels. Uh, Bears were overmatched. And that's what you should do in a game like that. If you, uh, if you have designs and you feel like you're one of the best teams and you are going to go on a Super Bowl run like the Bills are, then, you know, as that game goes on, you should smother that football team. And that's what they did. You get into these games, and and you're right. I we've been talking about it this week that the Bills have found yeah they found a way to win in Chicago. I thought their plan and their adjustments during the game they they started handing the football off speaks to the fact that they can do a lot of things that beat other teams. And I made the statement I thought the Bills were good enough all over their roster to pick any way they want or need to beat another team. Their strengths and weaknesses match up with anybody's and. Whatever your weakness on your team is, whether it's your pass rush or your secondary or your run game or your passing game or this guy or that guy, they can beat you. They can exploit that weakness of you better than any team in the league because they're so deep and across the board. Is that is this Chicago game an illustration of that or is that over oversimplifying it? Well, let's face it. The Bears are not a good football team. So is is that a true measure? It's Maybe it's hard to say that. Uh, but I will say to your point, Steve, that personnel wise, I do believe the Bills have that capability on both sides of the ball. But but also what they have, and this is what all good teams should have, is I just think they're really solidly coached fundamentally all the way around. And so you really see it on the defensive side. I think Ken Dorsey is really starting to come into his own on the offensive side. But but these guys are well coached. And and I admire the way Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier, the way they coach the defense. They're not you know, how do we say they're not schemers. You're not going to have some exotic game plan week in and week out, but they do enough and they never stray away from their fundamentals and the core of what they are. And so they have a really good feel of, of how to adjust the different offenses, how to make those adjustments in game. And, and really that's what you come away impressed with. They, they have good personnel, but I really am impressed with, with the way they are coached. They're fundamentally sound, and I just think they've, you know, since Sean McDermott has been there, I just, I, I love the way he's coached. I love the way they put this football team together, and I do think, especially with Josh Allen having the ability to do what he does when they need him to do it, that, uh, look, they've got to be one of the favorites to go all the way. Adam, it's been kind of a slow burn with James Cook here in his rookie season. He's 
had a season that's had a few hiccups here and there, but it really feels like he's turned a corner on the field in some, not all aspects of his game. Cause he hasn't really been factored heavily in the passing game just yet, even though we know he's capable of it in his skill set. But what we're seeing, at least from, for those of us that have seen him every single week, it looks like he's seeing it faster on the field and playing faster as a result. I'm just curious because you probably haven't seen him up close and personal every week like we have, what your initial impressions are of him. Well, first, before I really speak to, to him, it's just your running game in general. Uh, what I noticed is that, look, let's face it, you guys are – or going through Josh Allen's right arm, okay? So it doesn't have to take center stage. Uh, when I watched the Miami game, and I made this point during the game, it, it wasn't strong. They didn't really do much. But when they had to have it in the fourth quarter, both Cook and Singletary, well, they made some tough runs. And so they're really, it's a good situational running game. And so they don't have to. I mean, they did last week. They ran for over 200, but they don't have to really carry the load. And so that's what really impressed me. When I saw Cook last week, I, I just loved how decisive he was. I loved how there wasn't a lot of hesitation. He saw it. He hit it. And then you saw once, you know, he got to that next level, you saw the speed and what, what the guy is capable of doing. But I, I just see this as a really good complementary piece. And you just add the fact that, you know, when they start doing the quarterback runs with Josh Allen, um, I, I just came away impressed. Again, the, the numbers aren't big, but I just loved how both Singletary and Cook, um, when they need them to make a run, even if it's just a a three-yard run to pick up a first down, um, they just came up huge and they came up clutch. And I do think that, you know, put all those pieces together, it just makes the Bills a stronger football team. How much credence do you give the the arm injury that Josh suffered in week, I don't know, nine or whatever it was? Um, And it did seem, we saw him uh, they were making the comments about how much you're, how little he threw in practice for a couple of weeks. Now he said he's had days where he really, he actually feels great uh, during the week, um, which tends to think, make you think, when was he not feeling great? Right. And he went through a, he went through a stretch where he was throwing red zone interceptions, like, you know, like it was his job. So, you know, what do you think about where he is health wise and the extent of what that might've done to this offense during the, lull and when they were turning the football over well steve it's 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 really hard to say because i'm not i'm not in his body right Mm -hmm. so i don't know exactly what he's going through you can only go by the performance on the field i i think that you know as far as the red zone interceptions go when you study quarterbacks and you study the, the the guys and the offenses that that really are humming it's the quarterbacks that are fearless in the red zone you know, uh, one thing is that, A, they can extend plays, but B, they're fearless and the anticipation and the confidence to make throws that a lot of guys won't. And so for Josh, there's a balance there, right? He does things and he makes throws that uh, most quarterbacks can't. So he has, they have the ability to be an excellent red zone team, but at times he's not going to make a good decision. I think we've seen it that at times, you know, he still goes into that that freestyle backyard football mode. But you look at his touchdown to interception ratio, shoot, I'd rather, what is it, 37 to 15 or something like that? I'd rather have that than 15 touchdowns and five interceptions. So um, as far as his his elbow goes, I have no idea. But I I remember the throw against Detroit. I think, what was that, the week after he hurt his elbow? Um, (laughs) 
I mean, if his elbow is hurt and he's making throws like that, then uh, the guy cer certainly is bionic and he is Superman. So, um, again, I don't know, but I, I, he still, to me, is plenty healthy to play at a championship caliber. Talking with CBS color analyst, former NFL defensive back Adam Archuleta. And let's spin it forward now, Adam, to what is turning into a monumental Monday night matchup with the Cincinnati Bengals. Bills have won six in a row. Bengals have won seven in a row. Um, and it's two of the better quarterbacks in the conference in Allen and Burrow. Steve and I were having this discussion yesterday, and I'm just curious for your thoughts. I think Josh still sometimes falls victim to wanting to get it all in one play, maybe pushing it down the field when there are underneath options to kind of just stay on schedule. And I think Burrow is more willing to take the layups than maybe Josh is, who might be perceived as a little bit more of a gunslinger. Um, do you see that in, in Burroughs game? And believe me, I, I know better than anybody. He's got a heck of a top three to work with, you know, with Chase and yeah. Higgins and Boyd, but I, I'm just curious for your take on that in terms of the ways in which they kind of make those decisions, working the offense down the field. Yeah. It depends how much time you guys have. Cause I could, I can go into a 45 minute <laughs> dissertation on the, on the Bengals offense. Um, I've had them a few times this year. And I'm, I'm really impressed with Burrow. So I'll start with, um, in my opinion, what makes them as deadly as anybody is their ability to, to attack single high coverage. It reminds me of when I used to prepare against Peyton Manning and Marvin Harrison, the, the, the chemistry and connection between uh, Burrow and Chase. It is, it's, it's on a different level with the way they work the fade route and the back shoulder route. Um, you really couldn't play Peyton Manning in a single high defense because of it. You couldn't do it. You had to go too high. and You can only play about four different defenses. It's that good. I, I believe that Burrow and, and Chase have that type of a chemistry. And then with T. Higgins on the other side, it's almost like Reggie Wayne. And so now you get an offense that, that has to – you can't run single high. You can't blitz because Burrow gets the ball out and can identify defenses. And so you're in a too high defense. And then you have Joe Mixon, who now can operate – against two high looks and it almost reminds me exactly of the indie offense back in the day um so the second part to your your question is that i i believe that the early struggles of the cincinnati offense um, because of what they did last year getting so many home runs against single high burrow they're seeing a lot of two high defenses and burrow was hanging on chase a little bit longer than he should and that's some of those sacks came because of that and so their adaptation really has been him taking the easy stuff underneath and just saying, look, you're going to go too high. We're going to nickel and dime you and I'm going to get the ball out and I'm going to frustrate you and really getting confident in that. They've gotten so much better at attacking. Now, their explosives down the field, they're one of the more explosive offenses, but they as far as like taking shots, they're one of the least as far as you know, taking shots 20 yards downfield. So they have really mastered the art of getting the big play by the underneath and the intermediate passing game. And to me, boy, that is what is so hard to stop. You go single high, it's going to Chaser Higgins, and it, good luck stopping it. And then now you go too high, and then his command of where to go with the football is as good as there is, in my opinion, in the National Football League. So are they still getting explosives on yards after catch? Is that what you're intimating there? Absolutely. They're, if you look at them, and this, I had them, uh, it was uh, two weeks ago, and I was studying their offense, and they were 
top three, I think, in explosives, and they were bottom three as far as shots down the field. Okay. Um, which is pretty remarkable. Last year it was almost the opposite. They 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 had a lot of explosive one-on-one balls to Demar Chase, and so um, they're getting it from their backs between Mixon and Pirine out of the backfield in the screen game. Um, again, it all starts with single high defense. To me, it's just they are they're the best in football at attacking. And it starts with Burrow's chemistry with Jamar Chase and then T. Higgins' ability to win, you know, those physical balls on the other side. Um, they are Burrow's playing at a high, he's playing a quarterback position as as high level as as you can play. What about the other side of the football? We know that it's not it's a pretty complete team over there and their defense to me when I watch it they seem aggressive fast athletic um they play with a lot of confidence yeah you know um when I look at their defense first I give a lot of credit to Lou Anarumo he had a couple tough years when he first got there and they struggled now their personnel wasn't good but you know he was still a new coordinator um, when I look at what he's done with that defense over the last four or five years, um, he's an impressive coordinator to me. And he puts those guys in a really good position. Up front, uh, they have two really good ends. Now, I know Hendrickson is hurt, uh, but, but the combination of Hendrickson and Hubbard, uh, both setting edges in the run game and, and pressuring the quarterback, are really good. DJ Reader is an absolute beast inside. He is I mean, he makes so many one-on-one plays just that he really takes the run de- defense at a different level. Their backers are playing exceptional, both uh, um, Logan Wilson and Jermaine Pratt. And, and their secondary has, has always been solid. Even without their best cover guy, uh, Chido Bayawuzie, uh, their secondary, you know, Lou Anarumo is a secondary guy, um, really plays aggressive. You know, I, I, I had them the week after they played the Chiefs. And when I was studying them on tape, what, what I was impressed with is that they had no fear. Uh, they weren't scared of Mahomes. They weren't scared of the receivers. They challenged them, man. They didn't do any fancy defenses. They just said, hey, we're going to get after it. We're going to challenge you. We have confidence in our players. They, I think they zero blitzed them six or seven times. Now, Mahomes hit them a couple. But I just, to me, it's a defense that believes in themselves. And they're, they're not afraid of anybody. And so, uh, again, I'm not going to. I'm not going to make them the, the, you know, the 85 bears or the, the 86 giants, but that's what shows up to me on tape that I just feel like that football team on both sides of the ball has a real belief system that um, they can match up with anyone. So what do you think would behoove the bills offensively to try to hit them on a few or let alone be productive from start to finish to try to score more points than Burrow is going to put up? Well, <laughs> I think the Bills should be the Bills. Uh, yeah. It was funny because before the Chicago game, because I knew the cold was going to be a factor, and in talking to a lot of the Bills, uh, I went back and, and they said that the uh, the previous the, the Patriots game from last year's playoff was was the coldest game that they had played in. And so I actually the night before the game, I I turned on that game and I watched it. <laughs> As you guys remember. I mean, the Bills were unstoppable. I yeah, mean, it right. was like, I was like, wait a minute. Like, they're all saying that was the coldest. Like, there was nothing cold about that game because they jumped out and, you know, Josh was just splinging it. I mean, it was, they had 300 yards and 28 points in the first half. So I think the Bills should just be the Bills. There, I, there's no reason to to try and be anything that you're not. They they have a quarterback that's 
um, is of the caliber that can win any game. Um, they have the offensive personnel. And so um, I believe that most likely as you get into the playoffs with the caliber of quarterbacks with Josh and Patrick and Burrow, and then, you know, he doesn't have the big game experience, but I put Herbert maybe in the same category. Probably going to end up the quarterback that has the ball last and which which defensive guy up front can make the stop, the closer. It, you know, I, I I don't see – I see all of these quarterbacks playing at a high level, and that's probably how it's going to end up, almost like it was in, uh, in the Super Bowl with uh, Aaron Donald sacking Joe Burrow on the last drive. I really – that's how that's how good I feel about all of these quarterbacks and these offenses. So, you know, up front, I believe these games, you know, I don't know about, you know, Monday night, I'm kind of looking forward to the playoffs, but it's probably going to be won by the front four that has the best postseason. Yeah, I would, I would agree. I mean, and, and it, that's out, outside of this Cincinnati game. I don't know what, I haven't looked at the weather, what it's going to be like in Cincinnati, but you'd love to have it a clear, calm night. So these two oh, offenses yeah. can work, right? Um, it does seem like this may be one of those games that really makes a statement about what's going to happen in the next month and a half of the NFL football season in the playoffs and all of that. These two teams going at it. Uh, how important do you think for all of these teams? Because Bills have gone into Kansas City and beaten them twice in the regular season. Joe mm-hmm. Burrow was 3-0 and against Pat Mahomes. Mahomes doesn't fear anybody, particularly if they're playing in <laughs> Kansas City. Uh you know, the Bills are the number one seed right now, but they got to win all these games because, no, you know, the Broncos and the Raiders are not beating the Kansas City Chiefs to finish the season. So the Bills got to win out to get home field. Talk about home field, what it's going to mean for all three of those teams, the Bills, the Bengals, and the Chiefs. Well, I think home field matters because there's nothing, especially on defense, like playing in front of your, your home fans and the stadium is rocking. Right. And so, as I mentioned, what I think it's probably going to come down to the front four that makes the play. Well, who's going to be cheering them on on those final drives? Right. I'm sure you want your home crowd. I mean, that's there's no better feeling in football as a defensive player than when the game's on the line. And then all of your 60, 70,000 fans are just screaming. I mean, it's it's to me, it's one of the best feelings in sports. So I do think home field matters um, for those reasons. Uh, I do believe, though, that with all of these quarterbacks and really they're just they're all solid football teams. So obviously the quarterbacks are, are at the next level, but they're all really well coached, solid football teams with good personnel on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. So they they certainly have the capability of winning the game on the road. So it's not a for sure, hey, home field and we're going to go all the way to the Super Bowl. But I do think there's nothing better than, hey. We don't have to get on an airplane. You know, we can just sit at home. We can just dial in and we've got our fans. Uh, to me, that is that is a special feeling. So I, I do think that it is important. Yeah, I think all of us are just itching to finally see Patrick Mahomes play a playoff game that's not in Arrowhead just once. You know what I mean? Like, I'd like to see that just one time because it hasn't happened yet in the postseason. It's crazy. Adam, listen, thanks very much for the time. We appreciate it. Uh, we'll catch up with you down the line. But if we don't talk to you, have a happy new year. Uh, always guys have a happy new year and uh thanks for having me i i appreciate it love tasker i don't get to i don't get to see or talk to you very much man you, you ignore me so <laughs> oh yeah right yeah 
I know. Yeah, I know. My phone's been blowing up with you calling me. I know. I, yeah. <laughs> it's great seeing you, Adam. Hey, I enjoyed your commentary. You and Greg did a nice job for the Bears game. Um, it's good to see you again, and uh, congratulations on uh, on all of that. It's a good season, man, and Merry Christmas. Awesome, guys. Thanks. All right, that's Adam Archuleta, NFL on CBS Color Analyst, former NFL DB. We will take a break, but be back with more, including your thoughts on the tweet sheet here on One Bills Live, presented by Collada Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Bills Mafia, the first edition of the Buffalo Bills comic cover series is now on sale. Products include posters, sweaters, and shirts. You can purchase these items exclusively at any Buffalo, Rochester, or Syracuse area Wegmans. Wegmans, the official tailgating headquarters of the Buffalo Bills. We wanted to get back to the tweet sheet where we were asking you today, how do you want the Bills offense to look when entering the postseason? Two weeks from now, what do you want it to look like in your ideal Bills world? Tim on the tweet sheet says, I like the commitment to the run. Keep that up. I want Josh to take what the D gives him. Seems like he's still trying for the big play. I think we read that one already. That's my bad. Mike says to be able to attack whatever the opposing team's defense is, whether it's run up the middle, outside, short passes over the middle, outside the hashes, don't need to be balanced. Just execute what works when needed. Well, that's kind of what every offensive play caller is trying to do, right, Steve? But you got to adjust this kind of the game unfolds so yeah in an ideal world that's great but (laughs) yeah it's gonna change as the game moves along yeah that's a little generalized uh but yes and the bills have been doing that i mean they have they have they did it saturday yeah let's let's not forget they're on just a little bit of a winning streak here you know so um that's nice yeah from twitter user x run based with play action no turnovers. The Bills defense will keep most teams at 20 or under. The Bills have kept their opponents to 20 or under 10 times this year, including the Chiefs. This is a winning formula. I, I, I will say play action is down this year compared to what it was under Brian Dayball the last two years. Um, I don't know if we need play action or not. I, I, yeah. yeah, maybe if, if the other team's susceptible to it, like certainly – if you played the Bears again, they'd be susceptible to it because you crushed them with the run this last time. Right. I don't. Uh, I think one of the things about it with a guy like Josh Allen, play action isn't as effective because they don't straight hand off that much. Um, right. Because this not offense center a yeah, lot to begin with. When you say run based with play action, I, I no. This is the throw. This they throw it. Their offense is to throw the football. Yeah, they don't need to change anything, and I think that would be a change. Certainly, they can sprinkle in play action, but they're not going to do. They're not going to do ten reps of play action pass in a game. Right, and the reason I said it was down compared to what it was under Dable is because I wasn't trying to say they should do more of it. I was just stating a fact. It is down the number yeah. of times they've used play action from what it was under and Dable. It's, not that Dable used it a ton either. I, I don't think. I think this offense is a shotgun offense with Josh back there mm-hmm. and daring you to play man coverage against Steph Diggs and Gabe Davis and McKenzie or Shakir or Beasley, whoever's in the slot, and Dawson Knox. Uh, if you want to play man, you better win in the back end and have a spy on the quarterback. 
because if your defensive line runs a stunt up front and leaves a gap, he's going to gash you. They got problems with a run game with, because of the quarterback uh, threatening you with the pass, and he'll run it. So yeah, th- this is a throwing offense. You don't need to oh, yeah. have a run-based offense. And, and, you know, last week in Chicago, they were playing a team that's won three games all year and stinks at the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball, and it showed. And had lost seven in a row. <laughs> And and it showed, and yeah. the bills the bills did a little bit of a flex on them, um, and that's probably going to skew some analytics for some teams that are looking at the bills trying to figure out analytically what they're doing. You throw you might want to throw that game out because they only threw it twenty six times, right? And there were a couple other games where they actually ran more than they threw it, uh, right? But yes, and some of those were games where, you know. The Browns game was one the of Browns them. game, the Packer game, the any of these teams where they were squeezing the life out of them. The Patriots first Patriots game, Patriots were, game, you know, so they did that a couple of times, but those were late in the game rushes. Yeah, that, salt the game away situations, which is great. And that's kind of what the Bills did here. Bears weren't moving the football offensively. They didn't, you know, what did the you know, oh, Bills weren't going right? So the Bills weren't really worried about getting nicked for a big play. Yeah. Andrew on the tweet sheet says, would love a bigger role for Cole Beasley, but love the increased utilization of Dawson Knox, Devin Singletary, and James Cook. Stefan Diggs got us here, and the reduced workload will have him fresh come playoff time. Much needed versatility with this offense now. Let's talk about that for a second, Steve, because I remember the game last year was right at the end of the season. They got Diggs his 100 receptions and kicked in a bonus for him or something, and Josh was literally force-feeding him the ball. And it was a game that they didn't necessarily need. I don't think a win was going to improve their playoff seating, if I remember right, in Week 18. Right. And so I asked Josh after the game, I said, you know, you're you're forcing the ball to Diggs and blah, 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 and that's all well and good. Um, was there a reason that didn't happen sooner? And he kind of shed some light on the fact that they had been pacing him and Beasley through the course of the season. Because if you remember the year prior in 2020, those two guys entered the postseason not 100%. Diggs was dealing with an oblique injury. Beasley had a cracked bone in his leg. It impacted the effectiveness of their passing game in the postseason, even though they did make it to the AFC title game. Is that at work again here, do you think? Or based on what Josh said after the game on Saturday, Maybe it's just the way the game unfolded. He didn't intend to not get the ball to Stephon Diggs. It just kind of happened. There may be some of that in there. Um, I think you'll see remnants of it or evidence of it during the week in practice as well. When these guys are getting more than one rest day, and you know they got a little extra time off this holiday as well. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I think that's on their mind. And if they did it last year and it worked, and let's face it, this team was humming last year when they hit the playoffs oh, and yeah. got into it. They were singing. So I'm sure Sean McDermott is looking back at his notes and remembering it and saying, you know what, yeah. we we got we to gotta repeat that because they hit this the postseason last year. I remember thinking this. They were, they were compl- 100% healthy at the playoff as the playoffs kicked off after 18 weeks. They were 100% healthy and rested and just humming. So I think, yeah, there might be a little bit of that posturing and getting your pitching staff lined up for a late, you know, for the, for the series coming up. You know what I mean? 
Oh, totally. And I and I'll say this too, because people might have forgotten this, but over the last four weeks of the season last year, the Bills had the second most rushing yards in the league over the final month of the season. And after this week's game, when they ran for 254, albeit against much different circumstances, you got a beleaguered Bears defense that's half the guys probably don't even belong in the league lining up for them uh, because of all the injuries they've had. And they run for 254. And so I asked Singletary, I said, look, last year down the stretch, your running back, your running game really kicked it into gear. You were the second leading team in rushing over the final month of the season. Do you feel like you're getting back to that now? I I just wanted his take on it. And he wasn't ready to commit to that. He wasn't ready to commit to that. And I think it's partially because I think they knew they were running against an inferior opponent this past week. But if you can do a little, not as much, but if you can do a little running like that against the Bengals, that's not nothing. No, it's not. And it might've been a little serendipitous about facing the bears at at the exact time he wanted to kind of, chill and run the football and and it might have been a a happy coincidence where you get a team that can't stop the run and and you want to flex that way and do it um maybe some of that i think we're going to see a much different football game oh yeah well the bengals not for nothing they're a top 10 run defense as are the bills i mean the bills are fourth in run d and the bengals are seventh so yeah it's it's gonna be a tough night it's gonna be flying in the air i think yeah, it's going to be a tough night. Yeah. Uh, from Jay Whistler, healthy O-line is the most important. Like to see Josh's elbow stop impacting his throws and decision-making. Do you think that's still happening? I don't think it is. I don't know. I, that, I we, mean, we'll there's never no way know. for us to know. but We'll never know. He says he feels good. I guess what else would he say? I feel lousy and I can't throw. He's not going to say that. But right. as Adam Archuleta, our guest last segment, just said, Two weeks after the injury, he rips that ball to Diggs at the end of the game against the Lions. Right. And, and salts it away. Um, yeah, it puts him in field goal range right yeah, away. And they win the game. They win the game because of it. Yeah. And and, and he I'll, made a and, third and, and the third and third and 17 against uh, the Jets as, or the Dolphins as well. You get 21 and he rips it right over the middle too to, to Gabe Davis. That's a about huge throw. Right after he just hurt his elbow. And granted, maybe adrenaline's going here. But the two plays after he hurt the elbow, he throws a 60-yard bomb to Gabe yes. Davis, puts it on his chest, right. and he can't pull it in. That's two plays after the injury happened. Yeah. So I it makes you wonder. Right. <laughs> he's okay. I mean, he may not feel 100%, but his, you know, whatever it is he feels, it's yeah. good. it's pretty great. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that it's impacting his decision-making. I think it's his competitive nature that impacts his decision-making more than anything else. I think you're right. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's like you say all the time. you got to peel him off the ceiling sometimes. Absolutely. He is so jacked to go win a football game. If you don't – this game in Cincinnati this weekend, if I'm Ken Dorsey, you may just call a quarterback power sweep, play one, first and ten on your 25 after the opening kickoff. Yeah, take the hit. Yeah, get him, get him roughed up, and then get him back in the huddle. So and he settles down. down. Yeah. And he settles down. Unless he snaps one off for thirty-five and snaps a hammy, then you're in trouble. Oh my God, bite your tongue. Um, Kevin on the tweet sheet says, "I want to see 2021 playoff Gabe Davis. I want to see a balanced offense and no abandoning of the running game if it's working." So he's he's reacting to what we saw last week because a lot of the social media chatter from last week's game, Steve especially after they watched three turnovers happen in the passing game, 
two on interceptions, one on a fumble after a catch. They're like, why are we not running it more? We're killing him in the run game. We got to be running it more. Don't abandon the run game. And I get it. But in the end, that's not what this Bills offense is. They're a passing offense. So, yeah, I mean, if the run game's working and you're ahead on the scoreboard, sure, run more. I can I can understand the argument. But there's also an identity to this offense, and I don't think they're ever going to stray too terribly yeah. far from it. Adam said it in the last segment. Just be, be – just play the Buffalo Bills offense. Yeah, be let who them, you let are. them play. Be who you are. Let, them, let the Buffalo Bills be the Buffalo Bills. And I get it, too. There's a lot of angst in Bills – and the Bills Mafia about this. It's a huge game, and you're playing a really good football team. Right. Um, just let remind let me remind you that the Bengals are playing a really good football team, too. Really good. Yeah. Really good. From Thiel, trust the run game. Allen is good, but do we always need to use him? No. We easily could have killed Chicago off if we ran the ball, but we stopped doing it. So I want Dorsey to trust Cook and Singletary to carry the rock well instead of forcing Allen to be the MVP on every play. Okay. Now, so- a lot of these, a lot of these, <laughs> I love the people who listen, we really appreciate people getting involved and re- responding to us, but this is a little bit of a hyperbole here. Yeah. I mean, th- yeah, they didn't call Josh's number very often in the run game this last week and they haven't for a while. And, and what did he throw this, it 26 times? They nice? threw it 26 times. I mean, that's so far below what he usually yeah, throws. So He's this thing 40, about abandoning, abandoning the run, listen, they're abandoning the pass is what they did in this game. It's just the opposite of what you think you're feeling. It, they abandoned the passing game, and they were running the football all over it. So they only threw – so I get it, but no. Yeah. That's not what's happening. And it's not that they don't trust Cook and Singletary to carry the rock. They just know Allen, more often than not, is their best answer on every single play. because He is the MVP. He's, because he's a freakazoid. Yeah, he is an MVP. And he's the and it was this way. Anytime you've got a guy playing Josh Allen's position, quarterback, who's the guy like Josh Allen, a la Cam John Newton. Elway. John Nelway, Cam Newton, um, you name it. Uh, Randall Cunningham, Mike Vick. You get a guy that can do something on outside of that. Yeah, that's it's a weapon you got to use because defenses don't see it very often. They got to cope with it. Yeah. And Josh Allen at 6'5", 250. Yeah, they got a, the defense. They're going to have a problem with him. So they don't do it all the time. And certainly there's a lot of times where they don't ask him to, but it ends up being him anyway. So if you got a guy who's an MVP caliber player, it's Looney Tunes not to use his abilities Looney fully. Tunes. I like it. You got to right. let him. You got to let him drop back and sling it. And if you need him, let him quarterback sneak it. Yep. We got to take a break here. Steve and I will wrap things up with some final thoughts on the tweet sheet next here on One Bills Live. Welcome back to One Bills Live here on a Tuesday. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. And Steve, we have kind of danced around the Monday night game coming up here in six days' time between the Bills and Bengals. We've called it a gigundo enormous matchup, and it is because the top seed in the AFC conference is on the line. And I wanted to bring this to your attention, courtesy of NFL Communications. 
This game on Monday night, Steve, is going to mark just the third in Monday night football history. The 53 years of Monday night football. This is only going to be the third time that two teams are playing each other with 11 or more wins. In 1997, San Fran and Denver. That was the Broncos' last loss of the season that year en route to a Super Bowl win. And then in 1985, Raiders 11-4 won the league's final regular season game at the Rams, also 11-4. So that's where you're at. Awesome. That's it for us. <laughs> I didn't realize we were out of time. We'll see you tomorrow at 1 with Solomon Wilcox on the show.